0: Hi everyone, welcome to FutureBone po- podcast brought to you by Clavinus Combination Carriers. In KCC, we claim to have the lowest carbon shipping solution in the dry bulk and tanker space, and we are servicing our customers with our unique Combination Carriers. If you want to learn more about KCC, please visit our webpage, combinationcarriers.com. My name is Ange I'm the CEO of KCC. I'm very happy to welcome Sophia Wolf uh, Foxter, who is uh, Senior Advisor in the Norwegian Ministry of Climate and Environment, and Helene Tofte, uh, who is Executive Director and Head of uh, International Cooperation and Climate in the Norwegian Ship Owners Association. So, welcome, Sophia and Helena.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: In this episode, we will discuss the International Maritime Organization, for short IMO's new a greenhouse gas strategy that was adopted this summer and which many regard as a very important milestone for decarbonizing the shipping industry. This revised strategy was approved by the so-called Marine and Environment Protection Committee, for short, MEPC, at the 80th session in London in July. MEPC is the body in IMO, which is responsible for sorting out and, and developing new uh, regulations for decarbonizing shipping. Uh, Swia was part of the Norwegian delegation that was uh, sent the space at the negotiations that led to the new new, uh, strategy. And Helene is also following very closely MEPC and was also present in London in July. So to start, Sophie, could you please describe how IMO and MEPC works? Uh, How is decisions made in IMO and MMPC And how was the process leading up to the uh, approval of the new uh, greenhouse gas strategy?
2: Thank you, Engelbert. And thank you for having me in your podcast. It's my first first podcast ever, so this will be great uh, fun. Um, okay, let's get back to the issue at hand. So decision-making in MEPC, the Marine Environmental Protection Committee of the IMO, is based uh, on decisions that are taken in plenary by consensus, and in plenary means uh, with all IMO countries present, uh, for the time being 175 countries. So we are many countries uh, in the Marine Environmental Protection Committee uh, present and also uh, having high stakes in in the uh, development of uh, pollution prevention regulations for international shipping. Regarding the process that led to the adoption of the revised IMO GHG strategy, uh, it was a process that started almost a year before the adoption of the revised strategy. We knew that we were were to adopt a revised strategy in 2023 because the 2018 initial GHG strategy prescribed a revision uh, after five years. So that when the process started, we knew when we had the uh, target date for the Uh, adoption of the revised strategy and we spent around three committee meetings and also three intersessional working group meetings to get to the result that we had uh, this summer and when I say three committee meetings and three intersessional meetings it may sound uh, like not that many meetings Uh, however uh, each of these these meetings lasts for one week uh, and we have a lot of intersessional discussions and informal uh, discussions going on in between as well so the process took a year um, and then we managed to land uh, on the the revised strategy this summer.
0: So Nova was actually sharing this process as I understand it and uh, I had to admire your patience and resilience uh, because it it has to be a it has to be, you know, quite complicated to get all these nations to agree.
2: Absolutely, and so in the Norwegian uh, delegation, we we are uh, a huge delegation representing Norway, but then we also have the chair of the intersessional working group on climate issues, and so the working group is uh, providing the the compromises and and uh, and uh, suggestions to the committee for adoption, and it's the same countries that sit in the working group as are in the committee, so. Uh, a result provided from the working group is, uh, is often expected to be adopted by the committee. Um, and so my, my colleagues, of Todal, who leads the work, uh, who, who chairs the uh, the intersessional working group, uh, really had a hard task uh, getting everybody on board and together to secure this result. So for the Norwegian delegation, we had... Um, Uh, Some core issues that we wanted to to solve and some core results that we wanted to see. For instance, we needed to see a strong 2050 level of ambition. Uh, We also wanted to see a strong timeline for follow-up actions. When you set high ambition levels, it's important to show also how you uh, intend to to follow up on these. And finally, we wanted to see a strategy that included all the countries in the committee. Meaning no one uh, were to object or uh, no one should be left outside.
0: So, Helena, you probably need some patience to sit on the sidelines. You're representing the Norwegian Shipowners Association and the ship owners in Norway. How are you actually following uh, IMO and MAPC?
1: Well, I think it's important to say, just first of all, that Sofia and I obviously have different roles. So, um, my role is to represent the interests of Norwegian ship owners. Uh, that means that we follow sort of all key developments, policy, instruments being developed that will affect our members. So that's just as a starting point. That also means that climate regulations, new climate regulation has been an important focus for us for many years now, because there is so much happening in this field, both in the IMO, but also in the the EU. Um, then secondly, I'm so lucky that I represent companies that ha- have great ambitions in the fields of climate. So that means that we have sort of an extra focus on this and really trying to sort of push the developments to be proactive and make sure that we get, get good regulations that are ambitious to, to drive change in the industry. Concretely, when it comes to the MBPC, um, we advise the Norwegian government. So, the committees, um, the work that Sofia and, and the rest of her colleagues are doing, we advise them of the position of Norwegian shipping companies. And then we also work with other um, shipping organizations, international shipping organizations, trying to influence what will be the industry at whites positions. So in ways we, we work, we have different ways into following what's happening in, in the IMO. Um, and we try to sort of work uh, through all these channels and, and sort of push in all the directions which we can basically.
0: Thank you. So now I think we have a quite a good backdrop of how this has developed and the roles of Sophia and, and uh, Helena. Sophia, if you look on the uh, revised greenhouse gas strategy, what are the three most important parts and, and why should ship owners and the whole shipping business think this is a really big milestone for the very necessary development of decarbonizing our industry?
2: If I have to pick three, I would say the 2050 level of ambition. Uh, it sets a clear uh, path or and sends a clear signal as to where we are going. Net zero by 2050. So that would be the first element. The second element would be the timeline for follow-up actions. So we agreed in the strategy that we are to finalize and adopt uh, the next package of measures by 2025 meaning that these could enter into force in 2027 and hopefully provide uh, the necessary emission reductions to to achieve the inter- interim checkpoints uh, in 2030 and 2040 before net zero in 2050. And the final element that I would like to, to put forward is the agreement that we should take into account well-to-wake emissions, both in setting the level of ambition uh, and also when we develop measures That is important to make sure that when we uh, work towards decarbonizing the shipping sector, we do not push emissions from our sector to the energy sector, for instance.
0: And Helene, what do you think are the, the main positives and the main negatives on the new greenhouse gas strategy of IMO?
1: Well, uh, I must agree to to the points made by Sophia because we really needed the IMO as an industry. We really needed the IMO to set a clear path to zero in 2050, and with. This strategy, we, we, we got that and and that will pave the way for what is to come next, which is to define how to get there, which will be extremely important. So a clear uh, signal and a clear statement on net zero from, from 2050 and also that uh, the IMO is now including all greenhouse gas emissions and uh, looking at fuel in a lifecycle perspective has been very important. And then I also think it was very important that we agree the timeline um, because um, this strategy would be nothing without a timeline um, in which we are to adopt the real measures that will take us to zero. So we have a, have an ambitious timeline and that's extremely important. If we are to look at the, uh, the weaknesses or I would more say sort of what is missing, that is, you know, that that's the policy instruments that will take us to zero. We could perhaps not expect that we would come further on that uh, I- this summer, but um, it's just very important to say that we need those instruments because a strategy as such will not work without the policy instruments. So, so that is really what should be the focus um, going ahead. And, and we have to agree some really, um, some really ambitious policy instruments in a year and a half from now on. That's sort of the, the target line here.
0: Digging a little bit more into the roadmap up to 2025, what are the main challenges and what do you think is the most realistic outcome in terms of technical measures and so-called economic measures?
2: So this summer we managed also to push uh, a bit forward uh, the agreement on what the package of measures should uh, consist of. And first of all, uh, there should be a technical element, uh, which is to be a goal-based marine fuel GHG intensity standard. And secondly, there's supposed to be an economic element on the basis of a marine GHG emission pricing mechanism. Thirdly, I also want to mention that we managed to launch the process uh, of assessing impact on states of these measures, which uh, is uh, a third element that we will need to do in parallel. Based on this summer's negotiations and and where the various countries stood, I'm quite optimistic when it comes to the further development of the technical element. There is large uh, agreement on the overarching framing of this element. The IMO is adjusted to negotiating and developing technical requirements for ships. And we know that this is a measure that can give assurance on emission reductions. On the economic pricing element, there is still some time, uh, I think, before this can be set up in a way that all countries can adhere to. We might get further and much-needed insight uh, to the economic element and what it can contribute with uh, through the um, impact assessment, and this might help us on the way. Still, there was a large number of countries during MAPC-80 that were very clear that they could never agree to an international CO2 tax or levy on emissions from shipping.
0: So when you, when is the expected timing of when these new measures will be put into force?
2: Yes, so following the timeline, mm. if we manage to uh, adopt uh, the new package of measures in 2025, there's uh, a 16-month uh, period before they enter into force. So, so then 2027 uh, is the year when we, when we get uh, uh, new measures in place, yes.
0: So Helena, what, is, what are the main priorities of the uh, Norwegian Shipowners Association when it comes to the new regulations? What are the three most important parts, in your opinion, which should be included in the new measures?
1: Well, obviously there is one, one really important thing, and that is to come up with policy instruments that really drive change. So that is that is what we need as an industry. Um in our view, it has to cost to emit. So what we are asking for is that our emissions, um, they it, that you put a price on our emission we are asking for a global co2 levy and we believe that would be important to to drive to drive change basically and then we're also asking for that these funds that could be collected through a global co2 levy that we that we find a good way of using those funds um helping the industry to change to drive the green shift so that is sort of our biggest uh, and most important thing in 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 the year and a half to come now, that we come up with a good way of driving chains, putting a price on our carbon emissions, and that we use those uh, funds in a good way that can you know, help us to speed up, because that's what we need. We need to do this quicker and we do we need to do it efficient. And then we, we really need some good measures to help us on that way.
0: So, so Sophia, we have so far talked mainly of the new medium-term measures that hopefully will be there in 2027, but we also have the shorter measures that were introduced early part of this year, the, the so-called EEXI and the CII regulations. And of course, at least we in Clavines, in, in I think in the wide part of the shipping industry, sees that these new regulations has been only partly successful. Uh, at least one of them, uh, a bit misplaced. Uh, and I think people maybe get tired of me talking about it. But again, the CI, of course, is, um, is a measure that actually promotes inefficiency in shipping. So these weaknesses, what are the likelihood that these could be fixed over the next years? And, uh, and what is the process of agreeing an update and probably a tightening, further tightening of regulations and requirements?
2: So the short-term uh, measures are um, measures specifically uh, introduced to follow up on the on the initial strategy and uh, and aimed at reducing the uh, or increasing the energy efficiency uh, of of shipping. At mepc 80, we also agreed on a plan, time-wise and also content-wise, on how to revise those uh, those measures. On the process, currently there's a data gathering stage uh, going on that will last until autumn 2024 then there will be a data processing stage uh, analyzing the data and inputs from how this measure has uh, been functioning this far uh, during 20 uh, or sp- spring 2025 and then we will conclude on the revision of the uh, of the short term measure by uh, at the la- latest 1st of January 2026 as provided for in in the regulation itself and it's supposed to be a comprehensive uh, assessment of, of the measure. It's supposed to be t- supposed to look into all the aspects of the short-term measures, like the effectiveness of the measure, the experiences with enforcement, data needs, impacts on states, etc. And uh, I think f- for my position, I, I will refrain from concluding on how the review will go, but the intention of all the members is to, to review the framework, to make sure that this actually works works according to plan and reduces carbon intensity in the operations. So that's the ultimate uh, aim and all inputs, uh, providing information on how it does not uh, and how we could improve it uh, is very welcome in that process. Uh,
0: so Sophia, you think that you, you will keep both the, the EEXI which is the minimum requirement to energy efficiency and a CI which regulates, you know, the minimum, what we call efficiency of transportation work, the carbon intensity.
2: On that as well, I I, I will be reluctant to pre-conclude. Mm. Uh, but of course, this process aligns also with the process of developing the midterm measures. So we will be able to see this mm. all uh, in a totality during 2025. Mm and then let's see how we how the committee concludes mm. on, on the question of what to take forward and, and what we can leave behind uh, on the path towards reaching the net zero target in 2050 and the other interim checkpoints
0: as you know cases ceo businesses trying to improve the efficiency of shipping basically how can reduce the emission per ton cargo transported because if you manage to Im- improve efficiency, the, the next step in the transition to a uh, zero emission in the future is so much more easy. So, Eliane, what do you think? Which measures should uh, be capped and which should be, how should it be changed and who should these measures look like, in your opinion?
1: Um, yeah, well, if we take one step back, um, sort of looking at what should be the the way forward now, uh, we were discussing a CO2 levy earlier or, or at least we are asking for a global CO2 levy. And if you had like a really strong instrument, strong enough for driving change in the industry, you'd, you could, of course, ask the question, do we need these other measures? Do we need the CII or the EEXI? Then again, of course, this is what we have on the table. And from, from our organization, we will um, work to try to make those instruments as good as possible. Um, we're mainly concerned with the CII. That will be our uh, main focus uh, going uh, further and looking ahead. Um, and that is to, to have a focus on making the CII what it was supposed to be. It, it should be an, um, a tool that incentivizes ships actually running efficiently and today that's not always the case and i think you here in in Clavinous combination carrier you're a good example on that so amongst others you you need to make sure that for 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 segments in where that makes sense you also takes into account what goods have you transported, so so measuring actual transported goods, and, and I know that's something you can comment more on, Engebreth, because um, um, you are one of those mm. those segments or one of those companies in which that is very important.
0: You are right, Helene, and this is really critical that you know the current CI doesn't take into account the cargo transported and hence, in fact, uh, incentivizes to transport as little cargo as possible, which of course is just the contrary to efficiency of shipping. So I think that's the key to get this included into the CI. From reflecting on what has been said, uh, here we are, it looks like that we will have a fairly feeble carbon tax globally, if any. Uh, And and if there was a strong carbon tax, as Helena says, then of course, Helena is right, that you wouldn't need a carbon intensity measure because that would be taken well care of by the high carbon price. But in the absence of that, at least in my opinion, you really need a, a, a better and, and a forceful carbon intensity regulation. And But it, it seems that it still, it's still many, many years ahead before the new improved regulations can be approved. Uh, Would you think, Sophie, what could, what in your opinion, could be the likely timing of a change to the CII regulation as it looks today?
2: well if we follow the the review process that is now uh underway uh, we are supposed to to do that by 1st of january 2026 so it's the same timeline as with the midterm measures allowing us both to see the totality in it um but also to to proceed uh, at least in 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 a foreseeable future uh, i think even though uh, 2026 is still two and a half three years uh, from now um, we do have that deadline.
0: So that means that we could see a new what I call the CII regulation in in 2027, or is that too early? Will it like uh, drag out a little bit more?
1: That could be the case, yes. Yeah. If I could just uh, mm. jump in on that, because um, um, what is... Perhaps uh, most likely that we will have, in addition to what we have today, is is also that you will you will have a fuel standard in the IMO. So that is uh, currently that looks um, uh, more likely than a, a CO two levy. We will continue fighting for that, of course. But but a fuel standard is also on the table. So that will be one extra instrument, most likely coming into force as well in twenty twenty seven.
0: Yeah, and as we discussed, uh, Helene, it is actually doing a little bit the same as a carbon tax because by requirements to blending in new, more expensive fuels, it increases the cost of fuel, which gives an incentive to improve efficiency.
1: It it gives an incentive, but it Mm. doesn't uh, um, collect any funds that could be used for the the further greening of the sector, like coming up with new policy instruments and, and fund those instruments, like Common contract for difference or, or other other things that are being discussed that will you know further drive the change in the industry.
0: Absolutely. So we have to rely rely on all the money coming from the EU then from the new uh, EU ETS. Maybe. Maybe.
2: If I can just jump in on on the technical requirement and and whether it uh, may generate some some funds, uh, both the proposals that are on the table from the EU side and also from the Chinese side include flexibility mechanisms because we see that in uh, at least in the short term there will be a need for uh, alternative compliance mechanisms to uh, to the straightforward compliance with the technical uh, fuel intensity uh, requirement just from the the simple fact that we will not have uh, uh, fuels available uh, for all uh, all ships uh, in the short term so in the flexibility mechanism, there's uh, an opportunity to set a price for a deficit or a lack of uh, compliance, for instance. That could generate some some funding, and there's also the possibility of of establishing possible market approaches to to uh, pooled compliance, for instance, banking and borrowing, etc. So there might be an element of generating funds also in the technical uh, midterm measure.
0: So as our listeners uh, understand, this is fairly complex uh, issues and a lot of things still outstanding. And of course, in this uncertainty of uh, how the new regulations will look like and in, with this enormous gap between the very good and, and more precise ambitions and it's still very feeble uh, regulations, how should people like us in, in the shipping industry, ship owners and cargo owners, how should they prepare? Well, as
1: an industry, I don't think we can wait. And with this strategy now adopted, I think it's clear that, um, we are to reduce our emissions at the same speed and path uh, as other industries. We have to be carbon neutral by 2050. So that's the most important thing. But then of course we need predictability. Uh, this industry needs to uh, have predictability because investing in new ships, new technologies huge investments. So of course that is a challenge right now not knowing what sort of regulations um will you have to adhere to and and, and when. Um, I do hope that um the uh the clear timeline that is now adopted that we really have to stick to that. That is so important and that would mean that from Next uh, spring, 2025, you would have more predictability at least. Then you would know what type of regulation that is coming and at which uh, and when. So from 2027, 20, hopefully, and you will know this by 2025. But of course, that that is the big challenge right now: knowing what type of regulation and when does it come.
0: I fully agree with Helena. Uh, we need to act now, and which our company is doing. And I think there's a lot of things you can do today, without necessarily going all the way out and invest in 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 ships that are zero emission. You could prepare the ships you build to be converted later on. There's so much work you can do on improving the efficiency on the ships itself, on the way they are traded, on the way they are operated during the sea voyage. So I'm full in line with Helena, but but it's. Uh, I'm uh, waking up at night, crying of all the uncertainties that are around. <laughs> but what's what your take? What do you think we should do?
2: No, I, as I would just like to to say that I'm I'm very encouraged by by uh, the take on this from from the Norwegian Ship Owners Association and and also from from you I think what we can do, or what we can can at least point towards in in terms of uh, trying to reduce uncertainties to. The fact that, well, we now have, the, have this strategy for international shipping, we have the Paris Agreement, uh, we are all going towards uh, a net 0 uh, society in 2050, so, so the target and the, the end, end game is clear. And then in the short term, there is some uncertainty in terms of what kind of regulations we will get in place. But coming back to my, my point of, of the importance of having uh, all countries on board on this strategy is also now in the follow up uh, follow-up work. The fact that everybody feels committed to this, we all know where we are going and we know that we need to put something in place that will take us there. And so following up on the timeline, delivering on time is one important thing, but also delivering on content will be very important. And and to show that we are serious when we set those ambitious targets uh, and that we also follow up with the necessary measures that will actually take us there. So that's the the intention from 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 our side to to work as hard as possible to get that in place.
0: No, I'm I'm extremely grateful for the for the hard work and uh, you're doing in, at the ministry, and uh, I think that goes for I guess for Helene as well. A very good cooperation we have, uh, but still, you know, with the uncertainties of how whether IMO will succeed to decide on something which is sufficiently forceful. We know that the EU has clearly said that they will maintain their own legislation, uh, which uh, includes including shipping into the European emission trading scheme and also this EU fuel maritime, which, which rec- gives a minimum uh, blending of new fuels into the maritime fuels, unless the IMO will decide something which is forceful. Uh, with this backdrop, are there any alternatives to IMO? What could could uh, you know the most progressive nations do? Are there any alternatives to IMO? Do we have a Plan B?
2: I can start a bit, and then you can uh, uh, take over from the from the uh, uh, the industry's perspective, Helena. Uh, so so uh, from from our perspective, of course, uh, we see uh, oh, as Norway we will be part of uh, the European uh, uh, trading system, also for the maritime sector, and uh, and uh, possibly also for for the other legislative pieces that uh, affect the the maritime uh, sector. So there's definitely kind of a a regional plan B going on in the EU context. We also know that the UK is setting up their uh, emission trading system from 2026. Further, there are several other initiatives um, internationally, like the Clydebank declaration signed at COP26 uh, that Norway is also a signatory to. Encouraging countries to to work for the establishment of green corridors, uh, which is also an initiative outside of the scope of the IMO. My hope is that these regional initiatives and bilateral initiatives uh, that all help accelerating the decarbonisation. Also. Help put increasing pressure on the IMO to deliver on the international level. We know that if we want to achieve uh, the Paris Agreement temperature goals, everybody needs to be on board. Uh, we cannot leave anybody behind. So, so in the end, in the long term, uh, it's an international solution that will uh, be the most effective and be needed to to succeed.
0: So, Helen, do you think we have a Plan B?
1: Well, I think we have a Plan B, but it's perhaps not the preferred solution, and the plan B is that you will have um, perhaps more regional initiatives and regulations. I think there's no doubt that what the EU has been doing is really sort of pushing the agenda for the industry, um, and in my view, there's no no doubt that the EU is really now in the foreseat driving decarbonisation in, in, in shipping. Then, of course, my hope is that um, this will really make you know the IMO speed up as well. And and it was very positive what happened this summer. But we need the IMO to continue delivering, unless we we have a good agreement uh, in twenty twenty five in the spring of twenty twenty five. I think we will probably see more regional um, initiatives, regulations. So that that's sort of the plan B, but it's not the preferred solution. The preferred solution for us as an industry is to have, you know, global regulations through the IMO. And in a way you can say, you know, we are unique because we have the IMO, not other industries necessarily have the same tools. So we, 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 we have the tools to adapt global regulations, but it just has to happen. We, we need to see the change coming.
0: Yeah, no, it, it is. It is the difficult, complex, uncertain, and and very exciting, really. This uh, road ahead. So I think, if, first of all, thank you, uh, Sophia and Helene, for joining in on this podcast, and to our listeners, stay tuned. This is going to be a very, probably quite a rough uh, journey before we end up, hopefully, with something that can get us all moving in the right direction when thank it comes so to much. the conversation.
1: Yes, let's hope so. Thank Fingers you. Crossed. <laughs>